welcome to our podcast on imagery. My name's Carissa. My name is Maria. And today we'll be talking about visual literacy and imagery. I am currently a student teacher and I'm going to be certified in physics and earth science. I am also student teaching and I will be certified in social studies. So let's get right into it. Um, As I said, we'll be discussing visual literacy, what it is, how we can incorporate it into our classrooms, and what it means for 21st century learners and educators like us. Based on my understanding of visual literacy, I interpret it as the ability to interpret images. Um, Maria, I'm curious to hear what your take on it is. Yeah, so Krista, I am definitely on the same page as you and believe that visual literacy is the ability to interpret images, but I do believe that it goes a little bit beyond just interpreting it. I think that it also includes the ability to comprehend, evaluate, and really communicate with the images that are shown. As a social studies teacher, I find oftentimes that us social studies teachers really use visual literacies as a way to really engage the students in what they're learning. So we'll try to show the emphasis on like the Great Depression and we'll do that by showing images of what was going on during that period. So for example, we could show like something like the starvation or um, there's a really famous photo that always goes around. I feel like every social studies teacher shows it when they're teaching the Great Depression is on the mother with her two children and their clothes are very raggedy. Um, And you know, these students are able to analyze and communicate with the pictures shown to them. So visual literacy is something that can be difficult for some teachers to make appealing to their students. Um, But I want to know, what are your views on this, Carissa? How would you make something visually appealing in your classroom? So I want to draw on a quote from the APCON reading, and it's on page five. And this is the quote. And so you have to make it visually interesting in order to cut through the static noise and draw the proper attention to the central message of the video. And so here, APCON gets a little bit into how to make the images appealing. While the article is written for um, YouTube video creator Freddie Wong, with him in mind, um, these tips can be applied universally. First, as this quote suggests, assume videos are being played in a loud location. So what does this mean? This means go heavy on the visuals and the text, not on the audio. I mean, just think about the last TikTok, Snapchat story, anything that you saw. Where were you watching them? In the car, on the bus, in the cafeteria, all noisy places. And then think about what you see on these. You see often an image and maybe some text on there. Apcon and Duncan both touch on the importance of another communication medium in visual literacy. So it's not only about the image, it's about anchoring that image, as Duncan puts it with some other form of communication. In a lot of cases, that's texts. And with this, you can think about the news, right? Every time you look at the news, there's also words written on the bottom. This isn't done by accident. It helps us interpret the visuals a little bit better. So Maria, to answer your question, I think it's important to focus on the visual content to make something visually appealing, but also to add some context with another mode of communication. So I'm curious for you, how do you try to make things visually appealing for your future students? So I try to make things visually appealing by engaging the students in what they are viewing. So for example, if I give the students a picture to look at, I'll have them examine the photo for a few minutes and proceed to ask them questions like, what do you see? Or how does it make you feel? 
you know, when viewing these pictures or even as a social studies teacher, you know, we engage students with maps and graphs, you know, I mean, these these questions are not just for social studies. They're very standard questions across the board to really just get the um, to get the wheel rolling in the students and have them think critically on what they're seeing. So in my classroom, students will be given an opportunity to look at not just documents and maps, but they're also looking at visual demographics and political cartoons. So these are all really essential to have when it comes to visual literacy and imagery in the classroom. So as a science teacher, how have you been able to incorporate visual literacy into your classroom? So first I want to say it's really interesting to do this podcast with you just because I am in sciences and you're in social studies. So it's just interesting to compare these points. Yeah. Um, so as I said, I'm going to be teaching phys- uh, physics and earth science. And I want to draw on the earth science side for a second um, because a major global issue that we talk about in earth science is climate change. And there are so many images for this. I'm sure several come to mind as I mention it. Um, You know, imagine you have a picture of polar bears on shrinking pieces of ice. There's a lot to unpack there. Students can discuss their emotions, their observances of the picture, their inferences of what's going on based on evidence in the picture, just to name a few things. And this starts getting at critical thinking, which goes hand in hand with visual literacy. So in order to be visually literate, you have to do critical thinking. And when you're practicing and engaging in visual literacy, you're also making your critical thinking skills improve. So they really do go hand in hand. I just want to mention really quick more about how we should be teaching visual literacy. Um, There's this really good quote that I saw on the Duncombe article on page 10, and this is what it says. For wired youth didacticism must be leavened by dialogue and play. Of course, this cannot mean a free-for-all. It means a dialogue between the avowed rational agenda of schools and the irrational impulses of students, the rational culture of formal educational institutions, students' popular cultural models, and students' culture of subversive transgression. And so while this doesn't relate directly to visual literacy, Um, It relates to how we should be teaching in our classrooms. And this kind of just reminded me of the whole idea of didactic pedagogy versus authentic versus reflective. uh, Reflexive, excuse me. Um, And so what Duncan is saying is that we shouldn't just um, be using didactic pedagogy, right? He says didacticism must be leavened by dialogue and play. And he also says it cannot be a free-for-all. So in other words, we shouldn't just be using authentic pedagogy where students are just left up to their own wills of what they want to learn when they want to learn it. Um, He proposes a solution of combining these two and balancing giving students some information with, quote, dialogue and play, or in other words, some student choice there. Um, And so in this way, it just kind of seems like a reflexive action is the best way to take this. And I think that applies to obviously everything um, and applying it to visual literacy as well. We can offer some student choice, right? Like um, offering what them p- choices of what pictures they want to study or maybe letting them develop some questions. And But there also needs to be some teacher input there uh, guiding students towards what they should be talking about with these photos, 
And so I just wanted to bring up that point really quick because I, it was just important as we're talking about teaching visual literacy just to talk about how we should teach it. Um, just another fun point that kind of circles back to what we were talking about before with making things visually appealing. I found an article from Yale Climate Connections, and the title is How to Effectively Show Climate Change in 25 Images, and we'll link this in the description. Um, So this article is not just about climate change and showing you pictures. It's about how to effectively communicate climate change with visuals. They give tips on how to communicate effectively, such as understand your audience, show local impacts, tap into emotions, and so on. Um, It's a super interesting read, and I highly recommend it. Um, So that's just something to keep in mind. Um, Okay, so we've talked about how to make things visually appealing and how to increase visual literacy. But the question is, why does this all matter? So Maria, why do you think it's important to have imagery and visual literacy in the classroom? So there are so many reasons why it's super important to have imagery and visual literacy in the classroom. And I kind of do want to touch upon your point that you mentioned about how, you know, um, visual literacy can touch, tap into emotions for these students, which I think is very important, especially in, you know, um, the middle school and the high school stages, because I feel like for them to really connect with what they're seeing, um, you know, tapping into an emotion would really like emphasize that point for them and get them to really think about what they're looking at for a picture or anything in general. Um, So that was a really good point that you mentioned. Um, As stated in the Cordell reading on page three, there really isn't a different learning style for these students. Rather, they just have a preference on how they like to learn things. As teachers, though, especially prior to the start of college, it's so important for us to try and accommodate to these preferences without steering too far away from our content requirements and needs. Visual literacy and imagery is so central for these students because it gives the foundation for students to become stronger readers, as well as allowing these students to interpret things in different ways and different viewpoints. Speaking of visual literacy and the importance of it, we can look at social media as a great example. With the advancement of all these social media platforms, you know, Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, you know, they evolve by the day. And, you know, with that being said, fake news and deep fake videos have spread across the internet in masses. So it's important for, it. I'm sorry, it's important um, now more than ever to equip these students with these visual literacy skills so that, so that they can evaluate these images and these videos outside of the classroom and really interpret for themselves what it means to them and you know, they can kind of analyze if it's fake or if it's not. Um, And with all that being said, these skills are so important because it's a skill that they really do need as a 21st century learner. So I kind of want to just bounce this back to you and ask, why is it important for us to teach these students about these 21st century skills in the classroom? So that's a fantastic point you bring up. Um, I think we can definitely agree that the skills needed in this century are very different from the skills needed last century. That's why we call them 21st century skills, right? Um, Think about all the technological advances we've had. We have machines doing mundane tasks. And so we don't need people to do what machines are doing. We need innovators in today's world. And as educators, we have the chance to create and um, let me start that over. Um, And as educators, we have the chance to engage and help and educate this next batch of innovators. So that's why 21st century skills, which we talked about in depth last week, are important. 
they're necessary to prepare students for success in the future. So we spoke about how critical thinking is strengthened by teaching visual literacy. Critical thinking and the idea of that and that phrase is just one example of many of these all too important 21st century skills. And I wanna highlight a phrase I just said, teaching visual literacy. Cordell does a great job of explaining this. A high level of visual literacy is not something that is inherent. It must be developed. That's why it's so important that as future educators, we are thinking about things like this. Visual literacy is not a choice or an option to help students learn better in some way, as like a learning preference, um, but it's a skill that they really need to succeed. Yeah, I totally agree that it's definitely a tool that we have to give to these students, not just for them to be successful in college, but for the workforce as well. The workforce is very broad and can definitely have its own (laughs) separate podcast. Um, But regardless of which job these students do have, most of them that they end up having will require a 21st century skill. Not only that, but a lot of these students will be having entry-level jobs before they really begin their career paths. And these jobs will 100% require the students to have some of these 21st century skills, which is why it's so important to teach them in the classroom. Do you have any final thoughts or should we conclude the podcast on that last note? Um, No, I think that's a really good way to end it. I'd give maybe one final thought um, just to encourage you all to be aware and be critical of what you see in the world. Yep. So thanks, Maria, for doing this with me. And thanks, everyone, for listening. Thank you. Thank you.